The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. When I found out I was going to be a parent, I immediately felt a lot of anxiety and worry. So I went on to BetterHelp to try to look for a therapist to help me with that. My relationship with my family and with my boyfriend and with myself were suffering. I really needed help. I was ruminating a lot. Really getting those thoughts out to a therapist and getting feedback was just life-changing. If you're thinking of giving therapy a try, learn more at BetterHelp.com. That's BetterHelp.com. Welcome to Talk is Jericho. It's the pot of thunder and rock and roll. And the only place besides the Guns N' Roses dressing room or bus where you can hear the Duff McKagan joke of the week. Hey, Chris Jericho. Duff McKagan calling. Hope uh, you're doing good. Everybody's listening. Doing good. Uh, listen, I was driving over to my studio today where I'm at right now. I was driving over and uh, there was a sign on the side of the road with a guy sitting there. It said, Lobster Tails, $2. So I pulled over, gave the guy my $2. And he started the story. Uh, once upon a time, there was a lobster. Thank you very much. Goodbye. Oh, uh, that's awful. The, my producer, Stacy loved it, but I thought that was terrible. But thanks, uh, Duff, for never missing a Friday and for always trying to make us laugh. Sometimes you do. Sometimes you don't. But if you're looking for more laughs, check out the latest episode of the Winnipeggers. We release new episodes every Thursday night at 9 p.m. Eastern on my Facebook page and YouTube channel. And this week, Ribo, Dave, and I talk about festivals, music festivals, the crazy experiences we've had. Uh, you hear what happened to Fozzie uh, at a small festival in Kansas. Dave has a great story about sneaking into a festival in Winnipeg. And Ribo has played and attended his fair share of fests as well, some with uh, no people. Dave's also ranting about flash mobs. What year is this? Come laugh along with us or at us. Winnipeggers, new episodes every Thursday at 9 p.m. Eastern on Facebook and my YouTube channel. All right, today, a little bit creepy. I got Jay Wasley from Ghost Adventures, which airs on the Discovery Plus app and channel he's part of uh talk is jericho alumni zach bagan's crew and jay came on uh to talk about the infamous haunted and creepy cecil hotel in downtown los angeles the cecil is the subject of a new documentary on netflix called crime scene vanishing vanishing at the cecil hotel which explores the weird circumstances around elisa lamb's disappearance and death was it murder was it suicide was it uh, something otherworldly well, Jay and the Ghost Adventures crew did their own 10-day investigation at the Cecil that they turned into a two-hour TV special, and they have uh, their own theories about what may have happened to Elisa Lamb. But that's not all Jay and the Ghost Adventures boys covered. They also investigated other gruesome murders, suicides, strange occurrences at the Cecil. Serial killer Richard Ramirez lived there while he was terrorizing Southern California in the 80s. And they had some interesting experiences in his room. Jay spent some time uh, down in the basement by himself in the dark. And what he encountered there will make your skin crawl. Uh, so let's do it. Creepy, scary, paranormal ghost stories from the Cecil Hotel with Jay Wasley starting now on Talk is Jericho. 
So one of the uh, one of the hot new uh, shows on Netflix is the Cecil Hotel mystery and the whole story of Elisa Lamb, and uh, wanted to do a little bit more of an in-depth look into the Cecil. So I contacted my old friends at Ghost Adventures with Zach Bagans, and uh, now Jay Wasley is here to uh, discuss your recent encounter because you guys just did a whole special. On being inside the Cecil Hotel. Oh yeah, it was uh, pretty groundbreaking too, because we were the first uh, televised paranormal investigation of the hotel. I mean, I'm sure people have stayed there and kind of secretly did their own investigations, but uh, the Cecil's always been against it. Like even we've every time we would film in L- and film in L.A., we would always go there and be like, "Hey, can we film here? We want to do an episode for years now." And they've always just shut us down. Never wanted it. And uh, we got lucky this time. I don't know if it's because of the pandemic and things are shut down. And they're like, kind of like, if you're going to do it, now's the time to do it. And we were able to get in there. So this is something that you guys have wanted to, to explore even before the uh, the Netflix documentary came out? Yeah, yeah, definitely way before. Uh, you know, we've wanted to. I think we first went there when we were doing the uh, Black Dahlia case. We were doing a house in L.A. where they think that she might have been murdered. And we were kind of tracing her last steps, and they said the last spot she was actually seen was at the Cecil Hotel lobby bar. So we actually went over there, and that was when we first said, hey, can we film here sometime? And like I said, they just shut us down and wanted nothing to do with us. <laughs> well, for those who don't know, let's explain a little bit about what the Cecil Hotel is and a little bit of its history. Because it's one of those places that um, I've been in L.A. a hundred times, and as soon as you hear the Cecil, you're like, uh I think I know where that is, but now everyone knows where it is exactly. But kind of tell us a little bit what's so special uh, about that place. Yeah, the Cecil Hotel, it's it's just kind of had this since it first built. I think it was about 1924 it was first built, uh, and it was a kind of a higher-end hotel. But then the late 20s, the Great Depression hit, and basically Skid Row started happening, which is, if you're not familiar, it's the downtown part of L.A. where a lot of the homeless camp out and hang out. So this just became kind of an area real quick that was just, you know, crime, drugs and prostitution and kind of people that were always down and out. And unfortunately, with that, the Cecil kind of took that as well. And uh, the first thing was started suicides were starting to happen right away. Uh, People taking pills, killing themselves, jumping out windows, uh, and actually uh, it became known as the Suicide Hotel. That's what people started nicknaming it. Really? Yeah, which is pretty wild to think, you know, it started out as this high-end, classy hotel, and then within, I don't know, maybe six or seven years, it was known as the Suicide Hotel. Yeah, because it started out, like you mentioned, like of kind of a classy, upscale hotel in the middle of downtown LA, back in the, you know, pre-Depression times, which now things have changed to where it is in the middle of basically skid row where, and you'll see this in the documentary, there's hundreds of people with no homes and nowhere to live kind of in the same area. So if you stay there nowadays, well, it's closed now, but when it, when it was open, you know, you take a right and you're right in the middle of drug infested poverty. So it's definitely got a lot of, and I know from doing other shows on ghosts and doing my own investigations, the kind of the bad vibes and the bad, you know, suffering and the pain and that sort of thing is kind of where a little bit more ghost activity takes place to begin with. Is that correct? Yeah, absolutely. I think that energy sticks, you know, it's just such an extreme release of negative energy. It's just going to kind of stain the walls, stain the grounds and that energy. It just, you can feel it. As soon as we walked in there, just being in there and we had the entire place to ourselves, it's 15 floors 
everywhere you go, you just feel this repressive, dark energy. It was actually pretty overwhelming at times. We would be doing interviews, and during the interviews, people we were talking to just had to get out. They're just like, I can't do this. I got to get out of this room. And they would just leave in the middle of it. And just to explain that to the people who go, oh, okay, whatever. So when I did something for the Travel Channel where we were looking for some of the, the swamp monsters in, in the bios of New Orleans and all that sort of thing, and there was an area where a bunch of people had died and were buried, and in the middle of the, of the investigation, I felt like the fight or flight, like my insides started feeling a little bit weird as if I had just gotten off of a roller coaster. But the one thing instinctually was like, get the out of here this is not cool i remember i even said the director this is not fun this is not good and so it's something you actually real physically experience yeah you feel it in your body and it's it's you know unfortunately it's hard to translate sometimes on television but it's there you feel it and that's what we like to do once we start feeling those things that's when we tend to bring out our different devices different ways to measure what's going on to try to capture evidence of what's going on but it usually starts with a feeling at first and once again, too, if you guys have watched American Horror Story, the Cecil Hotel is what, what they base the, 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 the season hotel on. So it's got a very nice kind of expansive lobby. But as you go upstairs into the room, it's basically turned into a really kind of a cheap hotel. And one of the things with the documentary is they have people that have stayed there and just how bad the conditions were and all that sort of thing. But when you guys are in there, completely empty, like you said, 15 floors. I mean, that's... <laughs> that's creepy just just to start off just alone any hotel completely abandoned would be kind of creepy mm. but it was wild because we knew you know where our team was we were always together and we'd be filming and you just hear footsteps down the hall you hear people doors opening and shutting and we're like all right there's got to be more people in here so then we would walk around and try to check nothing nothing we would check with the you know our one we had one maintenance guy that was kind of our guide that was kind of like if we needed doors unlocked things like that he was the only one there from the hotel too and he would be like no everybody's gone this is all cleared out but i swear man we would hear people walking talking footsteps doors opening and slamming all the time it was so much where it was like all right there's got to be someone else in here but there wasn't okay but you've been on the ghost adventures crew for a while so you must be getting kind of used to because you're looking for this stuff you're asking for trouble oh, yeah yeah every every <laughs> other week for almost 11 years now i've been doing it it's wild man but it's still you know i i talk about it sometimes where i like you know we've experienced so much we've seen so much like what else could there be what else is going to be like oh my god but will experience things that still just blow my mind to this day. And I try to still approach everything slightly skeptically. I try to figure out, all right, what is it? What's going on? How could this be? And there's still plenty of times where just my mind is blown. So let's talk about some of the, the more evil incidents and, and people that have stayed at the, at the Cecil, which made you so curious uh, to try and get in there to investigate. Yeah, one of the big one was uh, the infamous uh, Night Stalker killer, Richard Ramirez, who uh, obviously, as many people know now, there's a lot about him going on now. Uh, he was just a brutal, evil serial killer, just sadistic. He was actually a Satan worshiper as well. He started in El Paso, Texas, and he would actually sleep out in a cemetery out there, which we got to investigate a while back. So we always kind of, you know, we made that connection with him. So it was kind of wild to now go to the place where he was actually killing in L.A. and he was staying at the Cecil Hotel and obviously it's not 100% confirmed, but there's a lot of people that claim and say that he was actually doing satanic rituals up on the roof and in the hotel as well. So that just piqued our interest. I mean, you have someone that evil, that, you know, unfortunately in tune with such a dark level of energy, that's got to do something. Just that alone is going to bring a whole, you know, swarm of evil energy to that place. 
And what's crazy too is even after he left and he ultimately got arrested and ended up dying in jail, people have gone to the CISA hotel. There's like this whole weird thing where people want to mimic serial killers, where they mm-hmm. want to kind of, there's like this weird fascination about it. And they'll actually go to the CISA hotel and try to perform their own rituals and things. And I've heard of stories about people getting kicked out and, you know, pushed away because they're actually going there trying to do that stuff. Well, no, it's crazy. You know, you talk about Richard Ramirez. He had like groupies when he was on trial. And like you mentioned, I mean, a place like the Cecil attracts a lot of weird people that want to be, you know, around this sort of a, of a vibe. So you're saying that, that, that Ramirez actually stayed at the hotel while he was committing his murders? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, he was. that's where he was last, where, right before he was arrested. I think that was the last spot he was staying at. And there's other people, too, that, that I know in the, in the documentary talking about, uh, about Pigeon Goldie. Yeah. Yeah, she um, was a brutal murder that happened, still kind of unexplained. You know, they're not sure what happened. They just found her in her room, and she was just, just brutally murdered. You know, it was just, like, horror scene, you know, when she was discovered. And another serial killer stayed there as well? Yeah, it was, uh, was it Unten, where I forget his name. It was actually, but uh, he was from Austria. I Jack Unterweger. Yeah, and he was actually, he was a fan of Richard Ramirez. So wow. So he, he committed murders back in Austria, actually went to jail. I don't know how, somehow served some time, got out of jail, came over to L.A., think as a journalist to kind of write stories about things and then he ended up basically copycatting richard ramirez and committing his own crimes and staying at the cecil yeah and staying at the cecil hotels i mean it is it's just it's like a magnet for just negative energy it's such a wild place and and the the most modern one that everyone's talking about is is elisa lamb who when you watch the documentary it seems that there's no real answer as to how she ended up in the water tank Mm -hmm on the roof and then now they kind of surmise that she basically had really bad depression and basically committed suicide by by jumping into the water tank so there's all that storyline as well yeah which that is just it's one of those cases where it just doesn't make any sense you know mm-hmm. yes yeah, she had she had depression some bipolar and maybe that could have played into it but there's still when you think about it if someone's in that state and being there and actually being there and be able to walk her path that she would have had to taken to get to the water tanks there's no way someone in that mindset would do that calculated route to get all the way up there, take off all her clothes, climb up onto the top of the water tank, which isn't necessarily an easy thing to do, lift mm. open the heavy gate, or not that gate, it's like a big lid you know, that shuts down onto the tank. So she would have had to lift open that lid, jump into the water, and then on top of that still somehow reach up out of the tank, grab the heavy lid, pull it up and down to shut it like i just don't see how anybody could do that and if she was you know depressed and wanting to kill herself she could have jumped off you know there's windows there's plate like it would have been you know it's sad to say but it would have been way easier ways to do it and two there was a report she was buying gifts the day of that her when she was last seen in that elevator footage she was actually seen at a bookstore buying gifts to bring home so it's definitely not something that, that was premeditated she wasn't planning to kill herself cuz who would buy you know souvenirs right. to bring home if they're planning to kill themselves it's interesting too because the, the once again for people that haven't seen it the water tank is accessible uh, obviously from a staircase to the roof but i think that was locked the way that they said that she climbed was basically a fire escape on the outside of the building, and like you mentioned, it's 15 floors up, and this fire escape, I mean, I don't know how you are with heights, but just climbing that ladder, I mean, you've got to be completely insane, which we're saying she was depressed, but 
That's a lot of work to jump into a freaking water tank. Exactly. And too, I heard too, they said that she didn't have her glasses. Her glasses were never found. So And they're in the room. Oh, they're okay. Yeah, yeah. Maybe they were in her room eventually, but she didn't have them at least when she was in the tank. So that means even if she was doing all this crazy climbing, she was doing that without her glasses on top of all that, which is just, I don't know. I don't, I don't buy it that she did it on purpose. I think, you know, it's hard to say exactly. I don't know if people influenced her and with the history, you know, we knowing it's a bad place, unfortunately, and like a lot of the copycat killers, things like that. Who knows if people were taking advantage of her or just, you know, being there. Like I said, with the interviews, bugging out, walking out of the interviews uh, while we were there, we had emotions flying. We would get agitated and aggressive and angry at different times, you know, so I could see how someone staying there that is in a fragile state that has, you know, depression or bipolar, you know, could almost be influenced by the negative energies that are there to help her ultimately uh, end up in the water tank. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed, also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. So let's continue on with with the subject. So when you go to the Cecil, is one of the missions you have to try and find some evidence or some some sort of contact with Elisa Lamb? Yeah, that was our, our one of our main focuses because it's such a big hotel with so much history. We kind of wanted to break it down into kind of, all right, what is our main focus? And obviously one of them was Elisa Lamb, and then our other focus was Richard Ramirez. So gotcha. first we kind of focused on Elisa Lamb and kind of dove into her story, retraced her steps, um, and we actually found what room she was staying in which was kind of weird because she was staying in a room that was a shared room at first, kind of like a hostel style. And then the people she was staying with were complaining to the hotel that she was being really weird and stuff. And so they switched her to a private room. So we found that private room. We went in there. We, you know, focused a lot of the investigation on that as well. And while they were in there, I was at nerve center monitoring and over, uh, trying to remember, I think it was the spirit box or the polter pod, uh, but a voice came through and it actually said Lisa Lamb, clear as day, came through while we were in her room, which is, Hmm. you know, like, I don't know, part of me understand, you know, doing the paranormal for so long, residual evidence makes sense to me that, you know, there's a loop of energy that, you know, you walk down the same hallway every day of your life, a bit of your energy flows up and down of that hallway, you know, that makes sense. And then under the right circumstances, you can capture a little of that energy just kind of still circulating around. But when you get something that's intelligent like that, that's actually saying a name of a person that stayed in that room that mysteriously died, that takes to a whole other level. I'm like, all right, this is something intelligent. This is something that's actually directly trying to communicate with us or try to give us messages, you know, and that was, we were pretty blown away by that one. And I'm trying to remember, I think in the hallway, too, of her room, we call it a dark shadow figure on a full spectrum photo. It was totally unexplained. We tried to debunk it. We went through, you know, and that's the one thing when we do get evidence, we don't just say, oh, all right, we got evidence. We'll actually dig deep and we'll try to figure out, all right, you know, is there some way this could have been explained? You know, how could we figure this out? And so explain, what did you you have a photograph that you had taken? uh, Yeah, uh, I believe it was Zach that actually took it. It was a full spectrum photo. So what it does, it basically it's a camera that sees in all types of light. So when we see, we just see white light. 
Uh, but we know there's infrared, there's full spectrum UV light, things like that. Right. So this camera sees in all frequencies of light and it picked up. There's this full on shadow figure kind of up down the hall, not too far from uh, Lisa mm-hmm. Lamb's room. You know, and it kind of just plays into the whole idea that maybe there was something dark that's influencing, you know, not just her, but a lot of people in that hotel to maybe commit suicide. You know, there's a weird it's weird that so many mm. people go there to end their lives. You know, I think there's got to be something there that's drawing them or or if not even drawing them, then something that evils there is feeding off of it. And, you know, definitely uh, causing when, havoc. We'll go back a little bit when you talked about hearing Elisa Lam off the spirit box. Explain what a spirit box is. Uh, so basically there's a few different spirit boxes we use is uh, the different. But basically what they do, they scan through uh, radio frequencies and they scan so so quickly that, you know, when you hear it, it kind of is like a and each little is a basically a frequency. And, you know, you'll get a response like we'll say, is anyone here? Things like that. And the thing is, that's crazy about it. Like skeptics can be like, oh, it could be radio interference, things like that. But it sweeps so quick. And when you get a, you know, a phrase like Elisa Lamb, you could actually put it in the computer and look at it. And you could see that the Elisa Lamb spans over at least 20 plus stations. You know what I mean? It's not just Mm. one little quick blip. It's going across a whole series of frequencies. So there's no way that it's interference. Um, And the theory is that, you know, basically the other world spirits, you know, the energy over there can actually communicate through these different frequencies. And that's what we do a lot. We try to experiment with different frequencies in, you know, the photo world and audio world to try to capture things that, you know, we don't necessarily experience daily because it's outside of our normal hearing and viewing so when you mentioned you you kind of retraced her last steps as you obviously go in, into the elevator and and oh, yeah. hang out in there yeah uh, i know zach went in the elevator first because there was a whole uh kind of belief which i don't know i kind of doubt she was doing that there was a, this thing called the elevator game uh, i think it came from korea where if you go into a hotel and you know, or just an elevator, I guess, and you punch the keys in a certain combination, it kind of opens up a portal, kind of thing. Really? Yeah, there's, it's a whole thing. It's pretty wild. I don't know, mm. you know, too much about it, but we heard about that, and there was kind of people were like, oh, maybe that's what she was doing, you know. But kind of watching the elevator footage of Elisa Lam, you could see that's not she's not actually punching the the numbers in the right order and things like that. It's just kind of slid it all down the middle. Right. One, two, three, yeah. four. So. so, but Zach wanted to try it out. So he went in and he tried the elevator game, which, you know, I give him credit for going in there and just doing that by himself. Right. You know, first time we've ever tried to experience that. Um, and I don't think he, I don't know if he captured any names, but I know personally he did have an experience where he felt like this rush of energy get on the elevator at one point, And it was enough to definitely creep him out. Um, mm. And then later on in the investigation, when we were actually doing our lockdown, I got to investigate the elevator by myself uh, for a while. And I was just kind of sitting there. I had a, uh, a binaural microphone, which is basically uh, it's a 3D microphone system. It simulates human hearing. So it's the most accurate to human hearing that you can record in. And I'm just, you know, trying to communicate, trying to get answers. It's, you know, I'm, I want to communicate with Lisa Lamb. I'm not trying to, you know, fight off anything evil at that point. So I'm just trying to be calm and communicate and you know and then eventually nothing's really happening so i decided to go up the floors just hit all the buttons i go up and it was on the 15th floor which is where you would have to get roof access you know i got off and i heard this weird dragging sound and i looked out the elevator no one was there nothing's there there shouldn't be we're by ourselves and now we're actually doing our official investigation so we make sure you know even our 
production crew, they're all outside. Like we have the entire building, just the four of us to ourselves. And I hear dragging coming down the hallway. So I'm peeking around. I don't see anything. And as I'm getting back in the elevator, I hear a clear as woman voice, which I also captured on audio saying hello. Like she was saying hello to me. It was clear as day. It creeped me out. And I, you know, was kind of in the process of getting back in the elevator and then the door shut and I went back down and after we reviewed that, it's, you know, it's so clear if you watch the special, it's straight a woman saying hello on the 15th mm. floor, which I can't explain it because I looked out there. There's nobody there. You know, that was pretty wild. No, it's absolutely wild. And once again, I think when you guys go into these places, I'm sure you've gone to plenty of places and not had any type of evidence or anything like that. So when you have, you know, that sort of a voice come up, it must be kind of a little bit of a small victory for you guys. Oh yeah, it's always a uh, it's always a rush and exciting, and you know we we put a lot into it, and we tend to get you know be able to draw out evidence. I don't know if it's just from doing it so long, we kind of know how to focus ourselves, and and I think there's just something about the four of us too when we get together. Maybe it's like each individual's energy that kind of come together, and we just we're able to draw this stuff out, and you know. But you're right, there are times where things are slower. It's kind of fishing, you know, like you know we right. watch an episode, it's it's 40 minutes, but we're there for almost a week. You know, you know, we're just showing you the highlights really. How long were you guys in the Cecil for? Uh, we were there. It was probably total, probably roughly about 10 days ish, 10 days straight. Yeah. I mean, maybe a day off here and there, but, uh, usually when we film an episode, we usually do, you know, five days, including travel. But, uh, for this, we wanted to focus a little extra and make it a two hour special. So we basically doubled that. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. So what are you kind of feeling and what did, what did Zach and the boys feel about, about Elisa? Because you see her in the elevator, she's acting very sporadic, very strange. I mean, you see what could be somebody else's foot. Um, you're mentioning how that trip to the water tank is a lot of work and a lot of danger uh, into the almost impossible situation of throwing yourself into the, into the water tank and closing the lid as well. Yeah, I think, you know, we all, and it was, it was a constant debate. We didn't want to just settle on one thing. We didn't want to go into it kind of already thinking things we wanted to right. go in there and experience it in real time and try to figure this out, you know, like a detective would, if you will. And we debated a lot of things. We are just like, oh, what about this? What about this? And, you know, really, you know, we got some answers. We definitely got communication. Um, there were moments where, like, we kind of feel overall, and I think it does lend to the overall experience of the Cecil and the feeling is that, whatever she was going through that we do believe that she was being affected by something supernatural. Hmm. And cause there's, like I said, there's no way she could have done it by herself and just being there. You feel it. There's no denying anyone that walks in that building, especially if it's empty or even if it's just slow and they have some time by themselves and they're in there, you know, you can feel it. You just feel it's not right in there. So I can imagine how easily it could be for someone to be, you know, manipulated in a spiritual sense there. Somebody with a weaker mental state could be, like you said, manipulated by something 
otherworldly that's in the hotel. Yeah, absolutely. And then when you watch the elevator footage, I mean, it's, it looks like she's seeing something. You know, she is kind of yeah. having weird mannerisms and acting a little weird, but she's looking at something. She's frightened. She's, you know, you could see those things. Like, she's seeing something there, you know. And I think that's the thing. I think a lot of people, you know, even like with children, you know, the mind is at a different place than we do as, you know, as we grow and become adults. So, like, children tend to see spirits. They tend to have experience, you know, imaginary friends, things like that. Right. And then as we grow up, real life kicks in, you get job, you do all that, and you kind of, you lose that connection you do. But I find that a lot of people that have certain, you know, mental conditions, maybe that allows you in a sense to be more open or more perspective, you know, change your perspective a little bit to be more open to uh, seeing those kind of things. Well, too, we we have a a tendency as adults to just not, believe anything you know you hear something you know it's, it's just the water pipes you know sh- the house is shifting like what the f- does that mean right <laughs> right Where, whereas a kid or, or somebody that's you know in a, in a depleted mental state might have a more open mind to what it really is yeah absolutely i think so well, you know we, we've done cases too where like you know we've gone to old abandoned mental hospitals and we hear stories about the patients seeing things and having things you know we you know as society always chalk it up to be like oh they're just crazy they're you know they're seeing things but maybe they're not maybe they're kind of tuned into a different wavelength and they're actually able to experience these things you know it kind of makes you rethink that kind of stuff and kind of feel bad absolutely are actually seeing these things so what else did you investigate while you were in there? So, yeah. So after that, and uh, we kind of touched on a little bit of everything, uh, but the next main focus was Richard Ramirez's room. Uh, mm-hmm. Once again, we found the room that he was staying in, and that's one place particular where, you know, like I said, the whole hotel alone, you walk in there and you're just like, all right, this is evil. This is messed up. But you walk into that room and it's like, all right, this feels kind of like the epicenter of what's going on here. Like just it's, it's condensed there, you know, it's even more so. And then what was crazy, you know, before getting to Richard stuff, but like we found out a lot of, which I guess this would predate Richard Ramirez being there. Like, uh, there was a murder and a rape across the hall in that room. And we started finding like all these stories, like in the rooms kind of right around where Richard Ramirez stayed, there was all these gruesome stories of after he had stayed there. Uh, no, this was actually before. So it was wow. kind of interesting that out of all the rooms in this 15 floor massive hotel that Richard Ramirez could have stayed in, he stays in the room that's kind of surrounded by all this gruesome Death, history, yeah. which I can't imagine he knew that because who's, you know, they would never talk about that back then and give that information out. You know, so it's just kind of weird that it kind of goes back to that whole there's something there that's drawing people to it. But Zach, Zach told me before he was on early in the history of talk is Jericho, but he said there's certain people that are kind of conduits for this sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And you're looking at someone like Ramirez, who's pure evil, maybe, you know, by the evil happenstance was just put in that position because that's where all, like you said, the epicenter of all of these dark spirits and entities were yeah i mean it's it's you know no doubt that rich ramirez was connected to evil just pure evil so it makes sense that he would be drawn to evil you know like kind of draws like you know yes you know so it makes sense that you know it's kind of you know ironic in a way but it's it's true it makes sense that that's the place he would be so continue on so you found his room yeah so we went in there and we brought in a couple uh a psychic couple with us the perry's michael marty perry who uh, are a really unique couple. Uh, 
one of them actually draws, you know, she sees spirits and then she'll actually draw their picture, which is pretty wow. cool. It's kind of a unique thing. And then the other one communicates with them. So we kind of, we split them up and, you know, they didn't know. They obviously, the CISO tell you can't hide the history. It's somewhat known. But we didn't tell them what rooms they were going to, things like that. And, you know, we split them up and we kind of walked around with them just kind of. And then when we finally brought them together, Michael walked into, we had Marty, which is a, she was staying in Richard Ramirez's room. She didn't know it was his room. Mm. And it's weird because as Michael walks into the room, first thing he says he's like oh hey killer like to his wife you know just kind of mm. nonchalantly but like oh hey killer but it was like mm. really <laughs> like you right. know like i don't know what nicknames they have for each other and things back right, home right, but right, like right. it was we were just kind of like wait what like why did you just say what's up killer <laughs> like as you yeah. walked in the richard ramirez room which they didn't know that's where they were and he responded he's like oh i don't know it just kind of felt like it just just came out like he didn't even Popped you out, know yeah. try to say it so that was pretty wild and then marty was talking about how she was saying like she wants to know who the bad person is in here like she picked up that there was a bad person she didn't actually get the name and things but she straight up felt it too which you know it was cool to you know that's the best thing when we go in and you feel these things but to have other people you know don't tell them anything and they go in there and they feel the same energy and feel the same kind of vibe you know, so that was really cool to have that. Hmm. Um, and we went around, we went to different rooms, and there was a point where Michael was feeling that Richard Ramirez was there and was kind of like, kind of laughing at us a little bit and kind of thought it was mm-hmm. kind of humorous that we're trying to find him and try to figure it out. You know, so that was kind of cool. And then right as that was happening, I remember I was filming and I was standing right behind Zach. And on the back of Zach's neck, kind of on the side, he just started getting this really big red welt started to form. And it was weird because Michael, like, pointed at Zach, and he's like, oh, he wants you, like, talking about Rich Ramirez wanting Zach. And Hmm. right as it's happening, and I'm like, all right, Zach, just don't freak out, but there's something, Mm -hmm. you know, something's appearing on the back of your neck. And then after that, it kind of spread around, and he had, like, this weird welt thing on his eye, like, just came out of nowhere after that experience. So it was just, you know, it's unexplained. We don't know what it was. We tried to look to see if it was like a bite or anything like that. But you can usually see like, you know, anyone that's been bit by a bug or spider, you can see like there's a hole and then it gets inflamed around it. But there was nothing like that at all. So we really couldn't explain what it was happening. And, you know, he felt it for sure. Well, it's interesting, too, because you mentioned that Ramirez kind of laughing at you because he had kind of a really dark, macabre sense of humor Mm -hmm. uh, that he would use even when he was in court being tried and all that sort of thing. Oh yeah. He was definitely, uh, I don't know, maybe like a cocky kind of, yeah. kind of cocky. He, he would lunge, lunge at the guards and, you know, yell, hail Satan and just creepy type stuff like that with a smile on his face to the media and everything. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. So it makes sense that he was kind of, he probably liked it. He was like, all right, you guys filming, you want me here? I am. I'll show myself. And you know, it's interesting. So you're just saying just his essence would be there because he's because it's not like he died there, right? Or his soul is trapped there, but yet you're saying that his essence was there, his spirit was there. Yeah, I mean it's it's all theoretical in a way, but you know the theory that like I don't necessarily believe, you know, like a lot of movies and stories show like oh you die there and you die in a house like you're trapped in that house kind of thing. Right. I don't necessarily believe that. I think. I think I think of a lot of it honestly comes to what you personally believe. You know, if you think, oh, I'm going to be trapped here, then you die, then you probably would be trapped there. Mm-hmm. You know, but for someone like Richard Ramirez, you know, being so dark, you know, it, it, I believe that 
you know, there is the possibility that spirits can roam around. But not only just that, but they'll go to places that maybe were, you know, if you're a ghost and you die, you know, I would want to go to places that I liked, you know, places that I felt were like the peak of my life. Like I want to go back to certain houses and certain areas. So it would make sense that Richard Ramirez, you know, he, you know, probably liked living at the Cecil. It was L.A. It was endless amounts of people. You could just go outside and, you know, it's such a packed city and being right there in downtown and this little hotel that was kind of notorious. so We could get away, kind of fly under the cover of it all. Well, especially if it had such a dark vibe to it. Like you mentioned, being the suicide hotel, that would attract somebody like Ramirez for sure. Absolutely. And then and who knows if he's doing rituals and things and conjuring, you know, trying to conjure Satan or demons or whatever he was doing, you know, that could leave kind of a portal or, you know, some kind of mm-hmm. saturation of energy there as well, you know, where maybe he can be attached to it and come back and forth. Or even maybe if it's not him directly, but it's just a bit of his energy that's still there that's... And it's just so evil, it can actually manifest and basically still wreak havoc. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. All right, Jay, what else did you discover at the haunted Cecil? Uh, so, yeah, I mean, we spent, you know, a lot of times, there was, I remember one point, it was cool, we brought in another psychic friend of ours, uh, Patty, who, once again, we didn't tell her anywhere we were going in this, you know, for one example, this is when we we're kind of, you know, there's so many stories. So we we're like, all right, let's go to this room. We know what happened. Mm-hmm. She doesn't. There was, so we took her to a room where this very violent rape and murder happened. She has no idea. She goes in there. She's just kind of standing there. She's like, okay. She's like, oh, we're like, what's wrong? She's like, oh, like, I don't, like, I don't know. I could say it on camera. And we're like, no, it's okay. Whatever. It's fine. She's like, no, like, like down there, like something's going on down there. Like. It's like hurting, and we're like, real, like, you know, and she was like in her private parts. Yeah, like she was kind of embarrassed to say it because, you know, being on television and stuff. But we're like, no, it's okay. Go ahead, tell us. You know, and that was the exact spot where a woman was brutally raped and murdered. Wow. It was just kind of like, that was just one of many little moments that was just like, wow. Like, and she didn't know? No, she had no idea. And there's no way. Like, yeah, maybe you know of certain stories because it's the Cecil and it's pretty famous, but like, you know, it was basically like rolling the dice. We're like, all right, there's 15 floors. We're going to take you to a few random rooms and just see what you pick up on. You know, so I don't see there's any way that she would know exactly what happened in there. Well, there was another thing, too. Wasn't she getting really freaked out next to a window? Yeah. Yeah, it was during a window. And uh, I remember we called an SLS figure with her while she was actually, you know, kind of freaking out and like feeling something there. And uh, Zach pulled the SLS out, uh, which basically uses infrared laser grid to map you know, the area and a figure appeared right onto her and was kind of like, you know, kind of, and we find this a lot when people are getting affected or they're feeling things, we'll shoot the SLS and it's an amazing device. And you'll actually see a figure kind of mm. on top of them or on their shoulders or, you know, with their arm out reaching to them, like actually making physical contact with them. Okay. So I can back that up. Cause when I mentioned being in the bios of Louisiana, where I had that really strange feeling we kind of walked a little bit away from the gravesite, and I got filmed by what you said, the SLS. I saw it was like a stick figure mm-hmm. 
that you see my stick figure, like a you know body, but it's very it's very much a stick figure, like a hangman. Yeah. If you're playing the game Hangman, and right next to me is a little, it's like something out of a Disney movie or something. It's morphing and it's moving and it's. It, but it, I didn't have the same fear as I had. It was more kind of a, not comedy, but just kind of like whimsical kind of. Yeah. <laughs> you know, but I saw it with my own two eyes. I'm like, what the hell is that? And it's like, this is the. SLS, so so I can I can back that up and vouch for that. But that's the actual thing that happens. Yeah, and that that device is pretty wild because we've shot it, we've run it for hours and hours, and nothing shows up. And then we've had it on right. command, like, "Oh, is anyone here?" And then all of a sudden, a figure will appear. And then not only does it appear, we'll say, we'll wave, and then you'll see its hand wave back at us or something like that. Yeah, and that, and that, like I said, that was this thing happened very quickly. So what is the significance of that? That's actually some kind of a spiritual entity. That's yeah. I mean, it's it's unexplained because basically what it's doing, it's mapping the area, so it's it knows what's wow. there. It's using infrared, basically like three D mapping technology. So it's mapping, and that's the thing. There'll be nothing there. But it's programmed to know human forms, things like that, and that's what the stick figure appears as when it when it senses a human form. So you'll hmm. shoot it, and then you know nothing will be there. But if something passes through and the stick figure appears, but like there's no human standing there, or if there is a human, then maybe the stick figure appears next to him or something hmm. like that. Right? Yeah. So it's 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 totally unexplainable. Like that shouldn't happen. Did Patty see anything else? She had a lot of, she was feeling that. I think those were the two main ones that stuck out, at least in my mind, that, you know, were mm. pretty much like, wow, like she got that spot on, you know. Did you uh, search for uh, the other serial killer, Ur- Ur- Urtwicker? Uh, yeah, they, uh, I know Zach, Aaron, and Billy did that this second main investigation night. We split up and they were focusing more on him. And I actually got sent down into the basement of the Cecil by myself for the entire night. So, uh, <laughs> so I don't know too much of what, exactly what they experienced personally, at least, you know. But uh, well, I think from watching the show is that they they found his room and a um, a sink turned on. Oh, right, that was the okay, that was the sink room. Yep, yeah, that's right. Yes. I remember. Tell us what the do you remember what? Yeah, because one, these rooms are small, so like you can pretty much see everything that's going around in the room, and we have. When we film, we put cameras everywhere because when we do get some big evidence, we want to show it from every angle. We don't want to be like, oh, maybe it was something over there. You right, can't right, see it. Right, There's right. no cameras. So we put cameras everywhere. And they were filming in there. Nothing's, you know, they're having their experience. Nothing major. And out of nowhere, the faucet turns on and just water starts pouring out. And you can clearly see that it wasn't on prior, you know, like literally seconds before it wasn't on. It's He's been in there for a while. It's not turned on. And then all of a sudden, it just full on turns on. And it's not something that like, oh, it was loose. It just, you know, we all know sinks. Like, they don't just pop on like that. Yeah. And the only time I've ever seen that is like when something freezes and your, you know, your garden hose busts open or something like that, which it definitely wasn't that because it was very hot. I think we were in there like August, September. It was hot and humid. So there's no way. And like, you actually had to physically turn that. So that was pretty cool. And definitely, uh, you know, when something's moving on itself, that, lends to uh, poltergeist activity because just you know there's just no reason that should be happening you know but that's that's one well, of the holy grail things when you catch something that moves by itself or something like that well and it's so interesting too because one of the things of the documentary that's so really kind of disgusting is that <laughs> is the people that those poor people from england that were staying and everything all these terrible things happen they're turning on the sink and the sink isn't working and there's no water pressure and that's when we find out that elisa's body was in the water tank basically 
sucking up the drain and just like oh they're like we were showering in it we were drinking it it's just like oh <laughs> man i would i would i would lose my mind yeah it's corpse water way. right so you mentioned that you were in the basement uh so so what hold on a second here so they say you show up when you got your call sheet and it's like okay uh Zach is on floor 15 and Jay, uh, you're in the basement tonight. Like, are you warned about I this? I drew the short straw of this one. <laughs> uh, I mean, I mean, yeah, kind of. I mean, the thing with us is that we, you know, we don't really do like, it's not like a traditional filming where you have the call sheets and you have it planned out. Right. Of like, course. It's literally like we have full reign. The four of us just kind of, you know, we'll sit down. We'll be like, all right, what should we do? How should we do this? What should be our plan of attack? You know, we don't have producers or the network that's telling us what to do or to redo things or anything like that. You know, it's literally just the four of us. That's why I shoot the show as well. And, you know, like I'm behind camera and then run in front. And, you know, we you guys all, are doing everything. Yeah. Because yeah. like, we want to keep it you know, as contained and controlled as possible. So the four of you, it's like someone's got to go in the basement and do you say, I'll do it? Or is it kind of like I mean, you're the new guy? Or- <laughs> yeah, it kind of, it kind of varies. You know, I love, I guess after 11 years, I'm still the new guy, but, right. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, part of me loves it. It's still terrifying. Don't get me wrong, but like, I kind of like it. Cause it's like, all right, if someone's going to do it, someone's got to do it. So right. why not? I'll do it, you know, and you know, I'll, so I went down and it was one of those things. I'm always nervous. I'm always kind of like hesitant. I'm like, all right, really? Like, is there any better ideas? Like, is there any, you know, like, and yeah. I'm thinking like, oh, maybe, can I pitch something else to do? Like something that might be better, you know, but ultimately it's like, all right, I'll do it. Let's do it. You know, I'm, that's what we're here for. We're here to explore this stuff and have experiences. So do you go down by yourself or is there a cameraman with you? Or are you, are you the cameraman? I'm at this point? the cameraman. It's, it's hundred percent just by myself, which just from a production standpoint is kind of tedious and annoying. And plus I sure. had, I decided I wanted to do something special. So I actually brought a, a reel to reel tape recorder, hmm. you know, not like the little digital, like a big heavy with a, you know, uh, actually reel to reel recorder. Um, and plus like carrying like three cameras so I could set up some static wides, things like that, you know, and it's kind of like survivor, man, you walk down the stairs, you set up a camera, you walk down the stairs, you go up, you get it, you put it down, you walk some further, mm. you know, and during that time, you know, there was just, there's these experiences. And I remember getting to a point kind of early on, you know, in the base, I mean, any basement's creepy, honestly, I feel like that's sure. why basements and attics, for some reason, that's something that's always just super creepy. Well, they're enclosed spaces. So we're, you know, there's not as much place to escape and that sort yeah, of thing. And they're like, they're dirty. They're kind of grimy. There's junk everywhere, yeah. you know? So I was down there by myself and I remember just walking around and I just felt this constant, like something's behind me. Something's kind of that feeling like something's around every corner, you know, and it was kind of like, there was actually a pretty big basement, but it was very maze-like in a lot of different rooms. And, you know, you walk in the boiler rooms and things like that. And it was just, I was just under this constant feeling like things were watching me. Like I was like being stalked in a sense, Mm. you know, like I'm down there hunting ghosts, but actually something else is hunting me. It was kind of that feeling. And then I finally, I remember I got to a point where I found like an all break room for the workers. And I was like, all right, this feels kind of safer so i'm going to sit in here for a minute and i kind of made that like a little base camp and did some recordings and try to communicate and you know unfortunately nothing too major uh evidence wise came through but that was definitely more of a you know personally for me that was just a scary you know just that feeling of like anytime something's going to happen and then uh i don't know i don't think it actually made the special but towards the end there 
I remember I felt like something finally was like I heard footsteps coming up behind me, and it's pitch black too. Like, you mm. got to remember that when we're in there, you can't see anything. Oh, can't wow. see anything. We don't have lights on. The only thing we could see to get by is actually on the monitor of the camera because it's seeing a night vision. So that's all we really have mm-hmm. to go by. And you know when you hear footsteps running up behind you, and you're in the oh pitch black and can't see anything, I just took off. I just started running. And I remember running and I was like, all right, like I've been down here all night. Like it's, I'm done. Like this is good enough. And I remember running and I, I got to, there was an elevator that went all the way down and I got to the elevator. I'm just hitting the buttons and I just keep hearing these footsteps like running towards me. I was like, I don't care. I don't know what it is. I want to get out of here. You know, like I've had enough. And I remember hopping (laughs) in the elevator and just shut the door and went up real quick. And then I think I got up there and it opened up and I think I saw Aaron first and he was like, oh yeah, we're wrapping out. We're done. And I was like, all right, I'm done too. <laughs> Let's get out of here. <laughs> well, I'd be freaking myself out. You know what I mean? Like yeah. you said, like if the footsteps are running up behind you, I mean, I would be envisioning a million different things yeah. that are going to end <laughs> in my demise. Right. Yeah. And it's like, you know, obviously it's like, all right, I want to document evidence, but ultimately too, I want to, uh, you know, save my ass as well. <laughs> well, yeah, of course. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, it's funny. I, I was just looking through kind of some reports. For, uh, the, 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 there actually was some audio of Jack Unterwiger. Um, and I don't know if you remember this, but one of the investigator asked the spirit of serial killer Jack Unterwiger who he had touched. And the response was your mom. Oh, yeah, that's right. So this guy's got a, this guy's got a sense of yeah, humor to him here. Know, it's just these these serial killers. Just they're a little cocky about it, I guess. They want to. <laughs> yeah. So you actually heard that you actually hear that. I think he says your mom. Yeah, I remember hearing that. Yeah, which is weird because it's like we've gotten that before. We're like, you know, it's funny because we've gotten evidence. We've gotten some amazing EVPs, amazing evidence that are people like cursing us out. And it's like, uh, sorry, TV world, you can't hear this because it's going to be a big bleep right. over it. But it's incredible and we'll play it anyway. And it's just like beep you, <laughs> you know, something like that. <laughs> Now, what does EVP stand for? Uh, electronic voice phenomena. So it's basically when you record, and like right now, if, you know, we're talking, and obviously this is being recorded, and we're like, "Hey, is anybody here?" It's silent. There's nothing there. We play this back now, and then in between that, when that's quiet, and I say, "Is anyone here?" You'll hear a voice saying, "I am," or "Get away," or whatever Jeez. it is, "Help," or something. You know, like a voice will come through and be on the recording. So, how do you explain that? Uh, I mean. The logical explanation for me that helps me sleep at night is kind of a little what I touched on earlier, how, you know, I know as human beings, we're all made up of energy. You know, we know that for a fact. We all have energy. And I think there's good energy and there's bad energy. And I think it makes sense that when you die, a little piece of that energy of you can still linger around and kind of still be in the spaces where you occupy Hmm. And then under the right variables, the right circumstances with the right, you know, technology, the right timing, you can experience that. You can capture a little bit, like almost like a, a record player just on a loop, just kind of going over this energy is just, you know, going back and forth. So we go and we capture a bit of, you know, we record, you know, that help me. Maybe that's mm-hmm. something someone yelled with so much passion and so much energy at one point that it's still kind of lingering there. So that makes sense to me. And that you know, is the easy kind of like, all right, that that's calm, you know, but then when we get those direct responses, like I remember we've gotten stuff before where we're at a certain location. Um, one that always sticks out was when we were at the Riviera hotel in Vegas before they tore it down and we're in there and we say, where are we? And clear as day you hear Riviera comes through and it's mm-hmm. like, all right, so now this is something that's actually communicating with us. This shows right. a level of intelligence. This shows, 
you know, it's answering not, your question. Exactly. Yeah. So that means that there's something that's actually there. It's not just a loop of energy. And that's the one that kind of makes it a little more difficult to sleep at night, especially when we experience these things over right. and over again. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. All right, Jay, you mentioned that you guys were on lockdown at the Cecil. What exactly does that mean and what exactly does that entail? Uh, so we call it the lockdown because when we do the our actual official lockdown investigation, uh, I guess to back up our show, basically is kind of split in two parts. The first part is we focus more on the interviews and, you know, the research, telling the stories, things like that. And we film that with the lights on. We have our, you know, our bigger production cameras that we shoot that with. And then we have we have a sound guy with us. We have, you know, our production manager there and things like that to kind of help out with that shooting. But then when we do the second half of the show, which is strictly just the investigation, everyone leaves. It's just the four of us. So we call it lockdown because it's like we're locked in, just the four right. of us. Any other production staff, you know, anyone else, they're all outside. They all go out there. Anyone in the building's all cleared out. And it's just the four of us by ourselves in there for the entire night. Wow. Um, so you guys said you did You, you said you did a 10-day shoot, basically at the Cecil. Did you find any, any, any other evidence or anything else that happened there? Uh, I think that was the major thing. I mean, like I said, it's like, you know, you spend so much time doing it and it's, you know, there's only so much time we can show everything. Um, and a lot of the time it's tough. Like we kind of touched upon is like, it's a, a lot of it's personal, it's personal feelings, personal experiences, right. which is hard to translate on camera. You know, probably when I freaked out and ran out of the basement on the, the elevator, they probably didn't make the show. Cause it, I was probably just running and the camera didn't see it, you know, so, mm. you know, it's not necessarily right. for that. Well, that sort of thing too. People that aren't there go, Oh, he's just making it up. You know what I mean? Like there's not as much physical hold in your hand evidence. Right. Right. Yeah. And, and it's stuff that is the part to train, you know, it's hard to translate to the audience, you know, and that's why when we do get actual visual or audio evidence, we try to, you know, we try to debunk it. We try to, disprove it at first we try to like all right how could this happen and then right. we'll look at every camera angle and try to look at every point of view and try to figure out how this could happen and then we've we've caught amazing evidence before in the past where you know maybe it was just on like one camera just on the side and you were like oh maybe it could have been this but like you know we know it's not but like because of the camera angles we can't we just don't show it because we don't want to you know we only want to try to present you know the best that we can so I guess as we as we start to wind down the, the Cecil when you went in there and kind of the, the evidence that you found and the feelings that you had is it one of the more haunted places you've been into or is it average or uh, I think it's definitely more than average it's definitely uh, I don't know I mean we've been so many places I want I don't want to say it's necessarily the haunted but it yeah. it's 100% haunted like there's no doubt in my mind that that place is haunted you can feel it the minute you walk in there every floor like there was just there was no escape. There's no moment where it was just like, all right, like this is a chill area. This is cool. This is calm. You know, like oh, mm -hmm. you know, let's let's take a break and get some water. It's like we're going outside. Like we went out to Skid Row to take a break. Like when we wanted mm -hmm. to take a break, 
you know, grab some chips, grab some water or something. We went outside into Skid Row. Like that tells you how bad it is right. in that hotel. That's way more, way more scarier out there. You would think. Yeah. But it was like, all right, we got to like just stepping out, get some, you know, quote unquote fresh air, I guess, as much as it can be there. But you know, was, so what, what do you think it is about the Cecil hotel that, that, that makes it that way? I mean, I think it's just the long history, you know, of, just negativity. It's just, you know, we all know negativity builds. It builds, you know, on our day-to-day lives. You know, it's it's kind of like, you know, there's a human, you know, kind of collective consciousness where, like, you know, if you're around people in a bad mood, you're going to be in a bad mood, things like that. Mm, and right. I think this is a place that's just, unfortunately, from almost its beginning, it's just been steeped in negative energy. And it just it can't escape it. It's just one thing after another. And even to most recently with the Elisa Lamb case, you know, um, you know, we've talked about, you know, there's, you know, no, I don't think we found any direct evidence, but we've theorized that, you know, maybe it's something even just with the land before L.A. Hmm. even a city, you know, who knows? A lot of the land was sacred, things like that, you know, that, you know, you kind of look at, you know, like a the strip club from dust till dawn, like at the mm, end of right, the movie, right, right. like the club is on top of like an Aztec temple, you know? Yeah. Like, yeah. Like who knows what was there way back in the day. And if someone, you know, whatever, whoever was living there, like made it sacred and, you know, and, you know, people come in and just tear it up. Like, you know, it's kind of the, I guess the downside of things. And, you know, such a major city like LA too, like it has destroyed the earth in a sense. And, kind of change that landscape forever you know it's gone from you know la is a beautiful place with the hills and the countryside but you go downtown la and it's it's cement it's just a big cement block that's that's going to forever change the earth so i mean you could argue that alone is enough to kind of create a little bit of a you know kind of a weird energy there it's interesting too because they tried so hard to to refurbish it and revamp it and put a new coat of paint on it you know they just stay on main or whatever the the kind of the offshoot hotel was where they were trying to separate from the low rent housing where all the junkies lived and then high-end hotel like they just like it just it it can't work right you know yeah i'm kind of curious because i mean when we were there they were saying that they're going to be they were starting to do some renovations and i guess they're planning to try to revamp it once again which i mean i wish them luck i mean I don't know if it's at a point where they just tear it down and build something new, which even if that would even work, who knows? But you know. is it one of those things, Jay, that now with all kind of the extra publicity, because between your show, which a lot of people watch, and then, of course, the Netflix, which everyone's into, that people would go there because they want to stay there? Yeah, I mean, it's definitely, you know, I feel, I don't know, it's kind of almost like when I, I've thought about this before, where like, you know, we put so much light onto this stuff. You know, and is that really a good thing? <laughs> like, does that actually like more, the more people become aware of it, the more does that fuel it? Does that increase it? Does that make it even stronger? Like, you know, kind of is it better to just forget about these things and just let it dwindle away in history? Um, I don't know. I guess that's the debate. But at the same time, we want to learn this stuff. We experience it. We do this stuff because we truly love doing it. You know, mm-hmm. we're lucky enough that you know we have a TV show to be able to do it for, but we ultimately do it because we love it. You know, when, you know, we're, we're not on the road, we're talking about the next one we're planning. We can't Mm -hmm. wait to get back out and keep going. Is there any places like the Cecil that you want to get into that you haven't had a chance to yet? Uh, I think 
So a couple of mine, I have two spots that I've always wanted to go to. One is actually over in Japan in the suicide forest. Oh, yeah. I always just thought that would just be such a cool place. I mean, I don't know. I guess I shouldn't use the term cool. It's kind of sad. But, you know, for me, people that investigate the paranormal, I think it would be cool. It would be, you know, such well, a— Well, for the same area, just this—it's it's a forest where people literally go to, to hang themselves. Exactly. So, like, to be able to just—even just spend one night in there just to experience the energy and— try to document evidence there. I would love to go there. And then there's a place in, um, uh, where is it? In the Czech Republic, I believe, that there's like this uh, cathedral that's entirely made out of human bones. Oh, wow. I forget the name of it, but I've always wanted to go to that place. (laughs) I remember learning about it a long time ago. I was like, oh, man, that's just so cool. It reminded me, you know, I got to go to the catacombs once with Zach a while, many years ago, and Uh we climbed through a mass grave, like 300 feet under Paris. Oh, my gosh. Ever since there, I've just always heard about this, like, chapel temple place in the Czech Republic. It's just, and it just sounds incredible. It's called the Sedlik Ossuary. That's it, yep. Inside the Czech Church of Bones. It's adorned with 40,000 human skeletons. (laughs) (laughs) Right. (laughs) I'm <laughs> sure you'd find some uh, adventures there for sure. Yeah. Last question for you. What's the uh, creepiest or scariest uh, experience that you've had since you've been doing the show? Uh, I mean, there's been so many, but I think one that always sticks in my mind personally from a personal standpoint was I was in this old saloon in Prescott, Arizona, and the people that worked there felt felt that there was an evil entity that was in the basement that was kind of residing out of this crawl space that was like under the old saloon. Mm-hmm. And once again, I got sent down there by myself and I crawled into the crawl space. So now I'm on my belly crawling, you know, pulling my elbows, pulling me through this crawl space, trying to call out it's something evil. So now I'm stepping it up a little. I'm like, all right. You know, I'm, I'm, you know, standing up to the bully spirit. I'm like calling it out. I'm like, all right, do something. Come on. Like where you're at, nothing's really happening. So I get more and more aggressive, trying to call it out. Still, even just saying this, I'm, it, it still blows my mind. I'm there. I have one camera in my hand, kind of in front of me. Something grabs my legs. I start mm. kicking. There's nothing there. It pulls me backwards about three or four feet. I drop the camera. You see on camera, I get pulled backwards away from camera. You can see that there's nothing behind me, and I'm actually getting pulled away from camera. I lose my shit. I start freaking out. The problem is I'm in a crawl space on my belly. I can't just Mm. jump up and run. I can't get away. Like I'm getting down, trying to process everything that's happened. I'm just yelling, and then I hear Aaron You know, he was kind of over in some other part of the basement. He comes running over, and I see his flashlight. He pulls out, and I can kind of see where I crawled in. And he's just like, what happened? I'm like, I have no idea. Someone grabbed me. So it just takes a while to process it. And I remember I slowly eventually got my way, crawled myself back out. And the hardest part is, too, is like, all right, that just happened. But now I also have to try to explain it on camera mm-hmm. <laughs> to kind yeah, of yeah. Like make the audience understand what I just experienced and what was going on. And, you know, I'm out of breath. I'm just... You know, and I have no idea. And every time I watch that footage, it still just it blows my mind. Like I don't, you know, I felt something physically grab me and pull me back. Like, and I've I've been scratched before. I've seen things lift off the ground, yeah. flying by themselves. I've seen exorcisms and possessions and all kinds of things like that. But like when something physically grabs you and moves you, that's like all right, that's a whole other level. That you know, thankfully, right. you know, haven't full on. Well, I guess not necessarily moved me, but I did actually just recently, a few weeks ago, I was on an investigation and I felt something grab my knee. Uh, 
which, you know, it wasn't as I felt evil as what pulled me in that saloon, but it, it was probably, you know, it's been a while since I actually felt like a physical touch of mm-hmm. something that's not there, which that just, it's, it's crazy, man. Yeah. Like you said, that's next level. I mean, I've heard the scratching and the, you know, the, the grip marks and choke marks, but actually pulling you yeah. that's out of, you know, the conjuring or something along those lines. Well, it can kind of almost play into the Cecil. Like if thing, you know, I know that there's energy, there's spirits that are powerful enough to do that. The Cecil would be a place that has that kind of energy. It's, it's there. You could feel it. Like there's no mm-hmm. doubt there could be spirits there that have enough energy and enough ability to actually physically move people, which could, uh, you know, have, literally pulled elisa lamb maybe helped her climb up yeah yeah man it's a lot of creepy stories there but um dude great talking to you today man and uh i'd I'd love to have you come back on to tell some more stories at some point absolutely we got so many we got a whole lot more coming out too and and like i said it's it's our life man we love it so be safe man next time the the ghost pulls you just try and reach back and slap it away or something hopefully next time we talk i'm not just like shaking in a corner or something (laughs) (laughs) turning a light on and off (laughs) thanks jay all right thanks man have a good one